0: About 15 years ago, a new show was playing every Thursday night on NBC called The Office. This is back whenever we had to watch shows, whenever they broadcasted. And regularly, my mom would walk in at different parts of the show, and she would say, That guy is so stupid. What's his problem? And it was always Michael Scott, of course. Um... But you could never really explain Michael Scott if you didn't see Michael Scott from the very beginning. And so, in her mind, Michael Scott is, well, just an idiot, which he is an idiot, but he's a lovable idiot. And this gospel passage, I think, we kind of put in our mind the same way that um, we might walk in and out of a TV show. It's like these disciples, they're so stupid. What are they doing out on the boat in the first place, away from Jesus in this storm? However, unlike the office, if you know the beginning of the story, it's actually even weirder. Jesus is the one who puts them on the boat to be tested, to be sent out, and that gets really curious, because the English doesn't show how severe this storm is. This storm is like the Greek word used here, this, they're being tormented by the waves, is the same Greek word that the centurion uses to say that my servant is being tormented and that he is in need of healing. It's like this storm like has a persona behind it and it's tormenting them. And for a long time, Jesus goes in what's called the fourth watch of the night, which means between 3 and 6 a.m. They're out here for longer than 12 hours. And so the question is, why does Jesus come too late? There's another passage in the Gospel of John in which Jesus comes too late that kind of illuminates our understanding. It's very weird. It's with the raising of Lazarus similarly Jesus comes too late you wonder did he get the news too late no he gets the news that Lazarus is sick and whenever Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick he doesn't say oh my gosh that's so terrible let's go over there I'm pretty good at healing you know I can help Lazarus he says no let us wait for two days he waits for Lazarus to die and then waits longer and then Goes to raise Lazarus from the dead after he's been in the tomb for a few days. This is what Jesus does. He abandons us to our own powers to allow us to feel powerless over and over and over and over again so that as each wave comes by that terrorizes us of life, whether that's an external thing or it's ongoing family situations such as a divorce, a death in the family, maybe it's addiction in the family, maybe it's unemployment, maybe it's transitioning from a different school, maybe it's failing classes, whatever that is. Those waves or whether they're just the waves of temptation within our heart being beat over and over and over and over again. That Jesus waits for us to feel powerless so that we can experience his power in our weakness. St. Catherine of Siena has um, this work called the Dialogues, and it's her dialoguing with God, the Father. At one point, Catherine of Siena is a very um, lofty and devout saint. Um, But at one point, she was deeply tempted to lust, like while being a saint, not like Augustine, who's, you know, bad off before he makes his conversion. No, she's deeply tempted to lust while she is very near the Lord. And then she asks uh, the Lord why he delayed his grace. Why was that um, she experienced that? And the Lord said, though you are slimed by temptation, does not mean that you have sinned. And so basically to call out to the Lord, again, more and more, and to recognize that all purity of heart rested in his sacred heart. Now, it is interesting. It seems, and it seems so often in our own lives, like Jesus could have avoided this situation by just taking the disciples up the mountain to pray with him to the Father. It's like, does, isn't that what Jesus wants? He just wants us to be close to his Father? He could have fed the 5,000 like he just did, Took the disciples up, gone up to the mountain to pray. All would have been fine. He could have as well come to these disciples in their boat on the lake. But he did not do that either. What he does is that he meets the head disciple Peter out on the tumultuous ocean. Out on the tumultuous uh, tumultuous sea of Galilee. He meets him there. That is the meeting place. Why is that? How can we see this in someone's life? We see this in the life of St. Paul. Paul, we just heard, has lived most of his life in the boat. He is with the Jewish people that have rejected Jesus. He could have remained well in the boat. He was comfortable in the boat. The boat is not going anywhere. The boat is doesn't have the Savior. It's not a good boat to be in. But he's been in the boat for a long time. He is a Pharisee. He is a successful, a learned Pharisee. And he's high ranking. He gets the dignified honor of persecuting Christians. And whenever Jesus converts him out of the boat, he does not take with him everybody else immediately we heard in this second reading how he wants the conversion of his brothers but he needs to walk out onto the uncertain waters of this new christianity the way as was called at his time and he needs to walk out in faith and whenever you walk out on the waters and you fall you get a little wet paul kept on getting persecuted I mean, he had shipwrecked, what, four times? He has 40 minus 1 lashings. He gets stoned a few times. He is the one that gets beat up over and over and over again. But the good news is that he's not in the boat. He's not in the sinking ship that the Jewish people, the Jewish brothers, are in at the time. He is the one that follows Christ. And I want to make that an allegory here because... This happens to us so many times. So many times we feel like we get out of the boat to follow Christ. We get a little wet, and for a second, or we hear the wind and for a second, we think, man, it was better if I would have just stayed in the boat. It's better if I would have not even started praying at all. Now my family thinks that I'm a, a holier than thou, and I used to have a good relation with my parents. Now, I don't know. It just seems strange. It seems better. Whenever I had my old friends and we just did whatever we wanted. Sure, we were ashamed, but at least I wasn't alone. Now I feel like I hear the wind, got a little wet. It was better before I, uh, you know, maybe it was changed my major, you know. And now I don't know what to do and how to go forward. It was better then. But perhaps we were in a sinking boat. Perhaps... It was a sinking boat that wasn't going anywhere, just being tossed by the sea. The good news with all of this, though, is in this story. Peter does not drown. Peter does not drown. Because Peter is in the boat, he can say the most sincere prayer he's probably ever said in his life. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. If Peter doesn't take the risk to follow Jesus, then he can remain comfortably with his friends in the boat and feel like, well, you know, we can outlast this. But because he gets out of the boat, and because the only recourse that he has is Jesus to save him from drowning, he prays that prayer. The point is, we cannot risk too much when it comes to following the Lord. Sure, we may fall flat on our faces at times, but in falling flat on our faces, we can still cry out, Lord, save me, and the Lord will reach out and he will honor that prayer. That is a prayer that he will honor. As Jesus says, it is better to enter into eternal life maimed without an eye or without an arm than it is to enter into Gehenna intact. And so, no one regrets gaining the Lord. There is not one saint in heaven who maybe has a strained relationship while on earth who regrets being a saint, who regrets the sacrifices that they made. And so, in the end, what everyone on the boat says and the point of why Jesus puts us in these seemingly irrational situations, because again, this seems like almost a fire drill that Jesus puts all the people you know, in school in, right? Like, It's like, why are we doing this? We're just doing this to do it. Do it. Jesus just puts them on the boat just to put them on the boat. The point of it is, is that after the drill, so to speak, everyone in the boat does him homage, saying, truly, you are the son of god truly you alone have power truly you are the one who walks over the tumultuous waters of all the life's world's life events over all of the hearts sinfulness you walk across it serenely and you call us out on top of it not to meet us on the top of the mountain with your father but to meet us in the midst of the storm so that we can be with you.